This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets get new owners. This is the Morning Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the Non and Ever podcast. Now, have you ever wondered when you're listening to the shows how we come up with the topics of conversation, whether it's scripted, how we get to talk about the things that we want to talk about? Have you ever wondered what happens behind the scenes? Well, it's generally speaking quite chaotic. So this week, because we haven't really got an awful lot of football to talk about, we decided to let you in and eavesdrop on um, a call between all of the known and ever team where we talked about the new owners joining the club. The clouds, of course, have been taken over by an arm of ALK Capital. And we have a new chairman, Alan Pace, who is saying all the right things in his first couple of weeks in charge. Um, so grab a brew, sit down and listen to what happened when none and ever sat down for a chat. Hello, hello. Hi, George. Hi, Natalie. Are you all right? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. This is coming as a welcome relief from essay writing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've just finished. I haven't finished work, but I've just taken a break from work as well to uh, record some some sounds. Yeah, this is going to be a nice welcome break, definitely. <laughs> you see oh. Alan Pace tweeting again today. You what, Sorry. Alan Pace was tweeted again today. He replied to, um, you know, Ryan Merton. You tweeted him about his the health, um, the mental health stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, he replied. To, he replied to him uh, just earlier before saying, you know, some, something along the lines of, you know, Burnley in the communities. I know Burnley in the communities done amazing work on this, and we'll continue to look at it and stuff. Oh wow. He's doing well. Yeah, it's been quite. I mean, it's going to get massively inundated, isn't it? But did you see? Um, did you see as well? Um, hi Dave. I don't know if Dave. Hello. Hi. Hi. Are you okay? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Me and George were just talking about um Alan Pace and his um presence on Twitter and some of the things that he's talking about as well. Oh, we've got Tom as well. Look at this! All the boys are joining. Hi, Tom. How's it going? All right. Yeah, we're all right. George and I were just uh, having a chat, but I'm going to hold back until everybody else is. Um, is Rich joining us as well? I think so. Good, good, it good. It feels like I've walked in on a, a preview show here. I feel like I'm intruding on Dave and that. <laughs> well, Tom joined us last week in the preview show. I've got to say, it was really weird. Uh, it was dead weird just not having me, and I didn't get away with half the stuff that I usually get away with when it's just Dave. <laughs> I had to be on my best behaviour because we had a guest, Tom was on. And then a couple of shows before that, we had Bennett Howarth as well, who's our um, rating fantasy football one as well. So, yeah, normally Dave. Most of the time, Dave just sighs and just ignores me, though, to be fair. <laughs> Apparently, I'm nearing the bottom of the fantasy football league and I'm not surprised in the slightest. Oh, you can't be any further down than I am. Oh, my <laughs> God. I think am I still in the relegation zone, Dave? I can't even remember. Well, it depends what you define as a relegation zone. I'm thinking it's something like the top uh, bottom ten or so. So yeah, I, I think so. No, that's not <laughs> <so> bad. <laughs> bottom three, obviously. You can't relegate three from a league of two hundred and forty-one. No, that sounds fair to me. Just relegate my, the three my league, my rules. 
It is. Um, I'm the admin. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. To be fair, you probably could relegate me out of the Fantasy Football League. And I could, yeah. Notice. Nobody would notice because I'm just, I'm really rubbish. Uh, really rubbish. Right, I think we, uh, we'll we we'll wait for Tom. Uh, sorry, Tom. Richard will join us whenever he wants to. Um, but, yeah, chaps, we've got new owners. This is well exciting. Well exciting. Um Tom, even you must be like delighted now. I know you were you were cautious about all of it. I'm not as excited as you lot, I don't think. But it's yeah, it's it's uh, I suppose the old Chinese curse, isn't it? May you live in interesting times. So I'm a little bit uh, wary because of that. But yeah, I mean it's something new, isn't it? We've not had a new manager or new owners or anything like that for a long, long time. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. It'll be it'll be interesting. That's definitely the word. Have any of you, um, you guys, seen the video of, of you know Robert Smith of the Cure when he gets that um, the award and she's asking, "Oh, are you how excited are you?" And he got, and Robert Smith just goes, "Well, obviously not as excited as you." That is exactly <laughs> what I just pictured with Tom <laughs> and Natalie. Uh, we've all been we've all been like children aren't we in our whatsapp group we've all been like oh my god like completely fanboying fangirling over our new chairman as well and tom's just like nah we'll see how it goes <laughs> tom's definitely our our keeping our our feet on the ground um did everybody see his um his first interview on pirates player Yes, yeah. Well, I've seen most of it. Yeah, it came came across really well. I thought in terms mm. of uh, his ideas, but obviously the challenge is going to be to put those um, ideas into action. So I think I'm I'm kind of with Tom. It's kind of yeah, initial excitement, but we need to see them deliver on that and and have progress going forward. So we'll uh, obviously wish them all the best, and uh, hopefully we can move forward together. Yeah, it does. Feels kind of weird not having Burnley guys in charge, doesn't it? I think. I know that's what people are a bit worried about, and when he t- when he starts talking as well, and he is massively American, like that's the weirdest you thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad he's not called it soccer yet. That's he's he's avoided that pitfall so far. Oh yeah, can you imagine? I, I was uh, I've had so many of my friends at work who've been like taking the mickey with it. Was it the Budweiser advert that did that added time multi ball? This is a bit of a blast. George, you're probably well, well too young to remember this, but <laughs> yeah, um, it's gone over my head already. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> sorry, hard work having George. Can we just kick George off the team? It makes me feel really old every time he's on. Every George is I... barely old enough to drink. <laughs> well, if I, yeah, we should have like an age limit, like the US Senate. You know, I'm not allowed on to like 30. That seems bad. George is the new Adam Howarth. The original team known and ever was set up with with the boys, and, and um, young Adam Howarth was. God, he must have been similar age to, to you, George, when you first sort of started on Twitter around like 15 times. Like when when he first went to university, I was just like that really destroyed me and now we've got Georgia University as well it's it's horrendous so you're the new Adam Howell. Um does anybody want to pick up on any of the points that um George do you want to start actually because you did a thread didn't you on that um oh what was it the that Clarets player interview did you not do a Twitter thread I'm trying to find it now this is <laughs> I'm doing the exact same as you <laughs> what did you do because I'm just scrolling through Scrolling through my thousands of tweets trying to find for this exact one. It's a, it's a real struggle. Yeah, it's an nice Um Before you do that, um, Tom, what did you, um, what have you made of his social media presence so far? He's been proper active on Twitter, hasn't he? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan of owners and that being on Twitter in general, to be honest. I think it's probably going to cause oh more problems. Oh I prefer the Dice, uh, the Dice method of just keep everything off social media because it will just, at some point, it's going to cause a problem. That's my prediction. <clears throat> the, I remember that Fulham chairman tweeting all that stuff about, oh, we, we haven't signed this one, we haven't signed that one. That was just cringe. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think he's coming across very well. Like, like I thought the same as you. I thought his interview hit all the right notes. Seems like a nice chap. Uh, and it's nice to have him on there. You know, he's engaging with fans, blah, blah, blah. But uh, that will end in tears, I think. I prefer that he, you know, he starts off in a blaze of glory, as he has done. And then perhaps just gradually incrementally reduces his his social media presence until it's uh almost unnoticeable that's that's what i prefer i don't think any any good can come of him being on social media really but uh, again maybe i'm just a cynic this tom you're making me uncomfortable here like we're all like tom's definitely the the check and balance of us all isn't he we're all like going oogly excited uh rich you made it hi 
Situation going on, Richard. You have to put yourself on mute. Can you? Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, we, we can hear you, but it's like it's like a proper like. I think I might have to leave it tonight then because I'm just struggling. If it's, if it's going to be like this, there's no other way of me fixing it. It's getting oh, better no. as you speak. Yeah, it is. It was very funny at the start. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me? Jesus, <laughs> yes, Rich, we can. <laughs> oh, this is too much. No, I'm not doing it because of this COVID situation. Oh, bless you. Oh, bless you. Well, let's keep stay on just in case. But you might have to. We might, yeah, we might have to kick you off if uh, if, if it's going to be difficult. I don't really know how our recording software works, so actually, because maybe I don't. I think it might probably picks up your voice fine, so we might be all right. But we'll see how that goes. Um, George, I found that thread by the way that we were talking about earlier on about all the. Po- oh, I've just lost it again. Damn it! No, no, I found it. I had found it. <laughs> oh, good. Um, what were the what were the key points that came out then of his first interview? What do we think? Well, I think one of the, the before he goes before he went on to talk all about the club and you know what he's going to do etc. One of the main points was like he, he's like he's moved um, into local area and I saw in an article he's, he's living near Cliverow. Um so obviously that's quite a big thing because you expect maybe an American owner might stay in the states and sort of run it from afar, but it seems as though you know he wants to be hands on. He said something like eighty percent of the time he'll be living here and then the rest is in New York, I think, and London. So and he and he said he'd already spotted things like walking around the club that he was like yeah that needs to change that needs to change you know which he wouldn't have been able to do if if he was like a, a distance owner in the states so yeah definitely good that he's living in the in the in the area and making himself part of the community. Yeah, I think I think Dave and I talked about this on the previous show, didn't we, Dave? We were talking about um, the idea that when you lose control of local business owners and the fans of the club, you know, do you lose your identity? Do you lose that very heart of the football club? And it just doesn't feel that way for me. I just, I feel like he's really embraced. It feels like he's done his homework. He feels like he knows exactly the club inside out. Don't you think? It's interesting as well. I think that he's um, obviously the uh, chairman, previous chairman, uh, Mike Garlick and also uh, John B have stayed on as directors as well. Yeah. And he touched on that in the interview, saying that it would be probably foolish to just go in and expect to know everything. Having yeah. two people in there who've seen what uh, you know been involved for the last uh, ten years or more, uh, they can obviously advise. Obviously, they're doing it in a different role to what they were previously, but I think he, there's an element of continuity there, and I think that's um, a wise move, in in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, it's a bit of a funny one, really. I wonder how Mike Gollick's going to handle the transition because obviously he's been used to calling the shots for a long time. And to to, I wonder if there'll be any clashes. I'd love to be a fly in that boardroom. Can you imagine the first board meeting? Be awesome. It would. Oh, I'm not. Have we lost Rich? I think we might have lost Rich. Are you still there, Rich? No, oh, no. I think I think we've lost. I him. think he's ranting and raving <laughs> to someone in the background. <laughs> Well, he'll come back on if he wants to say it. He'll come on. He's muted it, it now. Yeah, hundred decibels and run in. <clears throat> um, Just yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, I, well, I, in the, it was quite interesting. He dropped in in the interview. Pace dropped a little bit of a. I thought it was a bit of a cheeky line when he said he said something along the likes of a big difference now is that the the manager knows he has my full support, whereas in the past he's had to often guess about this. You know, sort of hinting at that. Whether the, the strained relationship between Garlic and Dice, and Garlic not supporting Dice, you know, I thought that was quite an interesting little tidbit that could easily have been missed from the interview. To be honest, George, I think you've misinterpreted that because I saw your Twitter oh, thread no. before you, you know, before oh. I'd seen the interview, and I thought, oh, here we go. But the way, what he said, 
it came across to me like he was saying, so now I know that the manager now knows he has my full support where previously he would have had to guess. What he's saying is, before Dash has actually spoke to Pace, he doesn't necessarily know what Pace thinks about him. I think that's the point he was trying to make. I don't think he was. Because I thought the same. I thought, oh, oh no. I thought that's a bit chippy because he doesn't come across like that, does he? He doesn't come across as very uh, uh, all-American, you know, uh, white picket fence and all that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I didn't think he'd be having a little dig at God, especially if he's staying about on the board. And, yeah, I think that's what he meant. I think he just meant he hasn't had a chance to speak to Daesh, so Daesh isn't going to 100% know what Pace is thinking until he actually speaks to him. Yeah. So rather than Dash having to guess the unknown of, oh, my God, is this, is just, you know, does the board want me? Because, of course, Dash has been here before, of course, didn't he? When the Watford takeover came out, what happened was is the new owners sacked him, like within a, a couple of days of taking over, didn't they? And put, oh, who did they put in charge, Dave? Zola. Who did they put in charge? Uh, I've, I've lost track. They've had about Zola, 14 managers. Yeah, it was Zola. Yeah, it was Zola. So, of course, Dash has been there before. And if he's been in that, that, that comment, therefore, makes sense. that if he's then been worried about, you know, oh God, are they going to like me? Am I in their plans or am I just going to get replaced by by somebody else that they bring in? And yeah, I think that probably makes sense. Um, I think, just going back to what you were saying about, and I do wonder whether there is a, a communication shift that does need to be done because I've had quite a lot of my Southampton friends um, text me today um, about this furore that is caused with Southampton fans criticising their... That you set up, did you all see that? It's oh, that was funny. That was funny. He said something like, "Yeah, five years ago, you know, Southampton are a club we've aimed for, and their academy was, you know, amazing. And then five up until five years ago, and since then, it's, you know, something like it's all gone wrong or something like that." Yeah, it's been really. I mean, and then the Athletic apparently Southampton fans are going mad, and the Athletic have now done an article today on it it's about before ready with Southampton fans. So it's just like and it's what Tom was just saying. And I do wonder whether it's just the American way of that that blunt and directness that isn't just quite at odds with what we're like as British people who are quite, you know, a stiff upper lip and we're a little bit more reserved, aren't we? Or and not just that, in the Northwest as well, particularly in Burnley, we just don't we're not that blunt. So I do wonder whether it's gonna have to rein it in a bit. Well it was it's I think there's abs- it was funny you said, you know, short term ambition stay up and do well in the transfer window. Long term ambition is to become uh Britain's favourite underdog club and there is absolutely no chance people already hate us enough with the style of football we play etc etc I think he's going to be highly disappointed when when all the Leeds fans aren't supporting us when they don't play us yeah that's true (laughs) that's true um what do we think then about what was next on Molly Stills I'm going to talk about I can't think from that interview um Transfers then, I think it's going to be the big one, isn't it? I think that's the thing that ridiculously a lot of Burnley fans are, are essentially going to be giving a very quick um, and very short term, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, analysis, maybe, conclusion. They're basically going to be assessing whether these honours are going to be very good with who we sign in January, aren't we? Yeah, for me, I think that's like a quick, uh, an opportunity for a quick win in terms of PR. Obviously, the biggest problem that fans have had with the board in the last few years is that the money's not being spent. Um, and obviously, this transfer window is the worst of the lot of the one just gone, I should say. One million quid spent is ridiculous for a Premier League club. So, I don't think anyone's expecting miracles. And I think he set the expectation fairly. You know, so we can't just come in and suddenly flip the whole scouting network, etc. around overnight. But, you know, what we need at the minute is two or three decent quality additions. It's not going to cost the earth. It's not going to break the bank. It's not as if we spent anything in the summer. So all you've got to do is go out there, sign two or three decent players that the fans can get excited about, quick win straight away. Already people are saying, you know, I remember Garlic only spent a million quid in the last window and the new guys will come and have spent 20 times that way. Be easy. I'd, I'd yeah. be with my hands together if I was patient, especially now there seems to be a bit more communication between him and Daesh. Maybe they'll be able to get things over the line a little bit quicker as well. So I, I think uh, if I was the owner, I'd be looking at that as a good opportunity. So from your perspective then, Tom, because obviously you were the one that's been more cautiously optimistic than the rest of us who have gone ridiculously hyperbole and gone giddy kids over this appointment and we've all been completely seduced by smooth talking suit wearing new chairman who's fancy and everything you're you're the one that's keeping all of our feet on the ground what would it take for you to be happy with what he brings in in January like what's the minimum that you would expect Uh, I don't think we need necessarily anything for the first team in this window because it is a I think Daisha said today it is a difficult window, um, and that, 
you know, I don't think we're crying out desperate. Maybe if it had been a few weeks ago when we were still in the bottom three, we'd be desperate for one or two to go straight into the first team. No, I think the first eleven's fairly settled. I don't think we need major surgery to the first eleven. What we do need is a bit of squad depth, and we all know where the positions we need depth are, out wide, full-back, centre-off. So if we can get just, you know, a, a, a Brownhill type, say, so someone who can not necessarily step straight into the team now, but will be ready if called upon, and in 6, 12, 18 months' time, is ready to step into the first team, similar to what we did with Pope and Taylor as well. That that's the kind of um, the kind of uh, profile of player that I'd like us to be looking at for the wings and for right back and centre half as well. I'm sure we've got the targets. So I've spoke about Warrell before at Forest. Maybe we'll go back in for him now. Maybe there'll be a bit more flexibility in the budget. Someone like that, you know, two or three like that, I'd be happy with that. I'm sure the majority of fans will be as well. Uh, and as I say, I think the opportunity is there to go and to go and make a couple of signings of that of that kind of ilk. So I don't think anyone's expecting miracles. No one wants Mbappe in the next window, but, you know, spend 15, 20 million quid. Let's get two or three decent players with resale value and potential. And I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's uh, not beyond the realms of possibility at all. God, Tom, the voice <laughs> of reason. I'm not, I, I'm not sure I was, I feel like I'm, I feel a little, not deflated as such, but I was a bit like, bring in 20 players, strengthen the first team. It feels a bit. Yeah, I think this window is a bit disappointing. Like, we're not, not. I feel like you've got to really try hard to get a sensible head on, like Tom, and think, you know, like it's a long term process. Well, then at the same time, obviously, sometimes you think takeover, we're going to get this money and we're going to spend, you know, we're going to sign a couple of players. But I think Dice put a dampener on it today and sort of brought me crashing back down to earth when he was like, January is tough with or without, you know, money. And I think Richard said before, like, no team's made a signing to improve the first team yet this January transfer window. It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, can everybody hear me better now, hopefully? Yeah. Yes! Hello! So, no, I've just been listening in the background. I think, you know, Tom kind of always um, is the voice of reason, isn't he, on the podcast? And But I think 90% of it I agree with. And, but I actually think we desperately need a winger, in, in, in my opinion. Yeah, right, I agree. Right now, as in... <laughs> for tomorrow, we've got Dwight's injured. You don't, in Daish's terms, you know, how long is that going to be? He said today that he's only training on the grass, not with the first team, so that's a worry. We've got Gunmanson, who's kind of, like, he said he's fit for this weekend, but he can break down any moment. And Brady, you know, obviously has been really good recently, but we're still massively short in that position. And we're not just short injuries wise. We're also short with the type of winger that we've got. So I'd say all of those wingers are quite similar. They're all quite technically good, put good balls into the box, pretty tidy in possession. I think we're cry- we're crying out in this team for some pace. I'd love us to sign a winger who, when he, you know, either can beat his um, full-back one-on-one or when, we've got, or when we're looking to counter-attack, give it to somebody who can go with pace. I know Dan James has been mentioned on loan for the rest of the season and I think he'd be a great signing. He looks like a young lad who just is desperate to play. Seems like he's got a good attitude. Um, so, yeah, from what Dyche was saying today, just echoing George, it put me down to earth a little bit. Um, and I think that sums up Dyche. I think even if there is loads of money, I think he's still very stubborn with who he wants. And, and he doesn't want a massive squad. But I, I think it is crucial we do sign one, two players in this window because... I think if we don't sign anybody at all, I think it'll just bring everybody crashing down to earth. And I think that's when, even though it might not be his fault, I think that's where, you know, Alan Pace might come a little bit under pressure. But it's still early days. No one signed anyone yet. But I think United's kind of had a pre-contract agreement with the play from Atalanta. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting window to see how it pans out. But um, if we do sign someone for kind of, other than um, an absolute fifth-choice midfielder from Brighton. I think it'll be quite exciting. Um, everybody's loving Stevens now because he's come on for 10 minutes and passed the ball sideways. Don't know <laughs> that, <do> we? <laughs> we're not, we're not going to move you up to Zell Stevens that way. No, no, well, you know what I mean. I just come in, no, but I, I, listen, I'm still excited by it, but it's still very early doors, isn't it? I'm kind of my excitement has gone a little bit last week. I was like, a, it was like my Christmas day when Pace come in. Um, but I think the more you've listened to him and the more you've listened to Dice, it's definitely you know going to be as they keep saying um, an evolution rather than a revolution, which I don't mind really. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I agree with you. And I don't think any of us want to, to see things happen overnight. That's not really the way that we've ever done it, is it? And also, the, the foundations of our club have been built on doing things slowly and properly. And I don't think, and I think some, I can't remember it was, but one of you put something in the thread earlier on about um, when we were off, off before we got on the call talking about, you know, you'd almost be worried if a big, massive signing came in for loads of money because it felt like a bit, panic buy and a bit of a quick fix hit um but I do I do definitely agree with Rich and and, and I, I actually I probably sit in between Tom and Rich with this one because I agree with what Tom was saying you know a lot of the times it's strength in depth and it's also bringing in those players who are going to take over when some of our bigger stars have to move on clubs or just fall off the pace a little bit you want to have them ready to slot in but Rich is absolutely right you know we can't we've got to get at least one winger in who's going to who is probably will end up coming into the first team this season because we can't carry on. You know, we, we've we've heard today. I don't know, and I, I haven't listened to it yet, so I'm going off what you guys have said. So somebody after this maybe jump in and give us the headline from Dasha's presser today. But we've now got COVID cases in the in the squad as well. It's like we can't, we just can't afford to keep. It, it only takes one or two out for us to look half the side than we were before. Oh yeah, it doesn't look good for for the COVID side because it there's I said there's two people have got COVID at the club, which you think you know all right, that's not too bad. But then when you know when Dice explains it and you realise, well, that then means the people they've been in contact with they've had to sort of assess, and then them players are getting um, a first test, which they do the result back soon. But then obviously because it can take sort of ten fourteen days to show up, it. They've got to get a second test next week and then wait on the result for that. So he said, you know, we've got 14 players currently, at least, that we can feel the side for this weekend. But his words were, they may not be the, the faces you usually come to expect. Uh, and then he said it will probably affect us for the United game as well. I mean, it's lucky we've got this MK Dons one first, but it'd be a shame if it did, you know, rule out a few key players for the United game. Um, does anybody, Dave, you might know this, how many... Do we know what the rule or the guidelines are about how many cases you've to have before you're allowed to ask for the game to be postponed? It's not the number of cases, it's the number of fit players you've got available. And they're saying that it's 14. Ah. If you've got 14 well, recognised senior players, then the game goes ahead. Although that, that's a little bit odd because it looks like Derby are having to field a team with um, basically just under 23s and youth team players. So I'm not sure how that... Perhaps it's different for the FA Cup than it is for the Premier League. What they were saying was, from from a Premier League perspective, provided you've got 14 players, the game goes ahead. Now, if you've got a deeper squad, you can probably afford to have um, more cases. I think in our case, our squad isn't uh, quite as deep. We're going to be affected more if we've got um, uh, COVID running through the squad. But it's, it's not just a problem with Burnley. I think there were 40 positive cases across the Premier League. Now, that's players and staff. But if you average that across teams, that's an average of two per team. And obviously, some are going to be a lot higher than than others. It's a, a big issue, and you know, people are now questioning whether maybe within a week or two, if things do escalate, whether we might have to have a, a shutdown with the league again, which is a, a possibility, isn't it? Do we have fourteen yeah. players? I'm just going to ask yeah. that very same question. Have fourteen players. <laughs> How? I know. Where, where's our cutoff, Dave? We'll like, have about what seven we... left by the time injuries and COVID. <laughs> Lace your boots up, Rich. You're going to be on. Hey, um, what's what? that cut on? He, he could have been professional if it wasn't for that ACL I read today. <laughs> he, he was on an upward trajectory and he's never no. reached that level since. Would you have been a cricketer or a footballer, Rich? Um, I, I was probably better at cricket, to be honest, but I was never. No. I definitely wouldn't make a living out of any. Well, this season, my first bat, I got a golden duck. So, no, that wasn't too good. What's that? What's a golden duck? Oh, I was out. <laughs> Oh, ouch! So, that's not that's not good. No, I'm, I'm not a cricket person. That's not good. I take it. No, I was alright. No, I was pretty. No, I was very, very average. Very average. I was like Eric Peters. That's the type of footballer I was. Not Dale Stevens. You're giving yourself better credit than, than Dale Stevens. Was better than <laughs> <him>. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. Um, so sorry, Dave. Where where is our cutoff then? So when we're talking about senior. You've got to have 14. Like, where do we have to play under 23s then? Or is it, who is it? Um, well, I think in, in terms of the squad you name, you can, you can name up to 20, certainly for the Premier League, you can name up to 25 players and then you have any um, 
uh, youth and uh, under 23 and under 21 and youth team players in addition to that. But I think it's kind of the core squad. Um, and I think we didn't quite have the full 25 because we have a lot of our players qualified on the basis of being uh, domestic players. We don't have the same overseas players that a lot of other clubs have. Um, but in, in terms of the, the cutoff of numbers, I think it's we've probably got a deeper squad than we think. I mean, we, we do have injuries, but we've got players going back. I think Jack Cork's potentially available. Um, Johan Berg-Gumberson scored a hat-trick in a, a bounce game behind doors as well. And I think FA Cup-wise, we would have been playing a, a different side anyway. We, we, we yeah, probably don't true. have as much flexibility as we would have had. Um, but I think where Deitch can make changes, he'll be looking to, uh, to, to make changes for Saturday's game. So we've got. I'm just looking on the website now. Our teams. We've got. We've got a first team squad of just 22 players. So you're right, Dave. We do. We didn't get right, the 25. Yeah. yeah. But two of those are keepers. So we've essentially got 20 that we could play. So if so we've three got three keepers on there, what? Yeah, there's three keepers. So obviously yeah. you're not going to. You can't play more than one keeper. You're not going to play one. No. Surely they don't expect you to play a keeper in outfield. So we've essentially out of a 22 person squad, we've got 20 that we could. Pick. Taylor's injured. That's nineteen. Uh, Dwight McNeil's injured. That's eighteen. Uh, who else is out? It's, Two corner good... cases, Jay, and then Jay's out. Yeah, Jay's out. So that's seventeen. Two people surely... injured. Fifteen. Yeah. So surely you could just chuck in youngsters, Natalie. Like surely. Like... Well, that's what I mean. It, it, does the end? Does the under twenty threes count? Surely it must do because. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think so. Otherwise, Dice wouldn't be saying, you know, we can field at least 14 players. Because he did say that. Like, he said it mm. could change, but for now, you know, we should be fine. Oh, what a palaver. I suppose there's no chance. You're not, you're not telling me that City have less than 14 players when their match got cancelled. It reeks that. Yeah, that that's true. They've got, like, they've got a massive squad. How they could field three teams. I, I think the I issue with that one was the timing of it. I think the issue of the Manchester City one was the timing of it because they weren't sure who was affected in, um, in terms of who was in the bubbles. They didn't have time to get the tests done and retested in time to do it. So I think that's why that one got called off. I'll tell you something. I'm going to do my note if it turns out that Phil Barsley hosted a New Year's Eve party and all of our players got COVID. I'll be, I'll be going mad. Um, <laughs> damn it. Um so what we were talking about before we got sidetracked with COVID, we were talking about Alan Pace signing people in January. Uh, anything else, George, that he came out from that first Clarets player interview that we need to be thinking about? What else did he say? Well, just hinted on the on the on the transfers, and I know we we probably like dampened everyone's parade a bit by you know talking oh, about that evolution, not revolution. <laughs> but but he did uh, one of the big like sound bites from the interview was that he said. Um, I can just guarantee you that um, Sean will not be frustrated when it comes to the transfer window. And you know, while it, while he said it, you know it's not the importance of a, a massive new checkbook, the the importance is on like acting early and just showing manager support. And that's something we've just not done. Remember a few years ago when we sent that email around to other clubs asking for asking for available players on deadline day. So yeah. I think I think we'll notice a big change. Not just not through like oh we've now spent twenty million on a player, but just by acting early, we might actually be able to get some get some signings in that are on the top of Dash's list rather than waiting for the end and sort of just messing about with it for the entire window. Yeah, what do we think is going to happen with um, the scouting network? Then do we think Rig's going to go? Yes. No. Oh, a yes and a no. Who said yes? Then was that you, Rich? Yeah, I think he'll go. I think he's not going to. He said he's not going to make wholesale changes now. But I, I can't see why Rig would stay when Pace's main vision and his main company has been kind of this analytical side of it. So surely he's going to bring his own people in to do that. Might give Rig a yeah. chance, but listen, I'd be very surprised if Rig was here this time next year. I don't think I'd realise that Rig was technical director. What the hell is... Dave, what is a technical director? What, what they, I keep seeing these... these what do they do? I think his his role is broader than just identifying transfer targets. I think a lot of it is to do with um, bringing players in through the academy as well. So I think we 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 won't see the fruits of that probably for another maybe two, three, four years. But some of the players we're bringing in, I guess uh, Josh Benson is is an example. Uh, there are other players coming in at younger ages who are not 
13, 14, but are maybe 18 or 19 coming in from other clubs uh, where they've been released from, identifying them at that stage, getting them in, with a view to them going into the, the squad hopefully in two, three years' time. So I think that the technical uh, director role kind of goes across not just the first team uh, transfers in terms of getting players who are going to come into your first team squad, but also bringing players in across the board at, at, at all ages, basically. Well, I I, th- I I thought it was interesting what Di said at the, the press conference there because he at the end of the press conference um, he talked about because obviously people focus on all the dialogue between Alan Pearce and Sean Dyche, you know they're the two big names, but he made he made sure to say like this is a group thing. Alan Pearce isn't the only new owner of the club, like there's this uh, this this group, and he, he said like there's been dialogue between all the important people, and he said like him, Alan Pearce, and then he name dropped. Neil Hart, obviously CEO of the club, and he said he specifically said Mike Rigg. So I don't oh, know. I really? just, I just think, yeah, he did say like Mike Rigg, Neil Hart, and he said one other. I just I didn't really recognise the name, but like that just suggests to me that you know it's not you know at least for now anyway. Mike Rigg's definitely going to be involved, but it's going to be interesting to see. We've not really mentioned it so far, but ALK have got the two. Um, investments in the two scouting. I think one's an app and one's you know a scouting thing. But like it, it sounds a lot more like they are big admirers of the Brentford and sort of moneyball approach. Matt, I think Dave will probably know more about the, the two companies they're invested in. Puts all the yeah, pressure in, on Dave. In terms of what they're doing, yeah, I mean that that's definitely gonna be a part of it. But I'm not sure you can do that from day one. So I think it'll be a case of evolving into that model. Um, the the challenge with that, to my mind as well, is that it's all very well saying that, yes, we're identifying players who've got potential, who are on upward curve, who, I mean, again, it comes down to finances because it's certainly in terms of the Brentford model, a lot of what they're doing is, is getting the players in and then selling them on for a profit in you know three, four, five years' time, which is a, a good thing, a good model to have if you can do that and, and generate funds uh, that way. But you've got to sort of marry that with a... a a Premier League side, it's not as easy to do that, I don't think. It's maybe easier at Championship level than it is at Premier League level because they've got to come in and they've got to get in the team and, and hit the ground running, which is uh, it, it's going to be a challenge to do that. But if you pick the right players, then you know it, it's going to be a model that works. But it's it, it will take time. It's not going to be a, an instant win, I don't think, on that, on that one. There'll definitely be a slow transition between, obviously, the, the, they're not going to be able to come in and make wholesale changes to the, the scouting network and that recruitment side of things from day one, especially seeing as they came in at the start of a transfer window. So it'd be interesting to see like over time, obviously, whether they transition to that approach of using these apps, and, uh, et cetera, like alongside the current current network that's there. But they also mentioned uh, the partner club in Europe, which uh, Pace def- said like, this is really important after break, like because of Brexit, to have a, a partner club in Europe, you know, along the sort of lines of, he didn't say this, but it sounded like the likes of Chelsea and I think it's Vitesse that they've got in, in Europe. And he said it was really important for player development and, you know, maybe for the future of ha- maybe getting players to, um, what's it called when you've got the, the licence to play in, in the country? You know, that sort of thing. So the mm. partner club's something we've never really even thought about as Burnley fans before. We, we touched on it with America before, didn't we, when Brendan Flood was involved. We kind of oh, had yeah. uh, had links out there. But I think it's something we can develop more over time. Uh, player Lens is the name of the um, the the company they've invested in in terms of the uh, player identification. AI, AI Scout is the other one. Um, but I think Player Lens is the one which is looking more in terms of the player identification, uh, the potential, and trying to get players in that way. So it, it'll be interesting how that pans out. Um, but we're going to be at the front of the queue, certainly, in terms of being able to use the potential of uh, of those businesses. Oh, are we not getting you excited yet, Tom? I, can't, I keep, after you dampen my spirits, I'm all excited again now. I'm all giddy. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad you are. You know, you should be, uh, should be excited about it. I, I, Maybe I'm just maybe I'm not excited enough. Maybe the fault lies with me. I think it's good to have a long term strategy. It's interesting what you said about Rig. Um, I think Dave made the point about you know we've brought in players like Benson, Goodridge, people like that that uh, are more kind of for the under twenty three team. And I, I saw Pace said that he was a big fan of the youth setup. So that makes me wonder if maybe there won't be quite as much drastic changes as we thought. Maybe the the way that the youth development's moved in recent years, it's moved in the right direction. We've gone up to category one status. 
maybe Pace is actually a bit of the fan of the way we've set that up. Maybe he's a fan of what Riggs doing and uh, Jonathan Pepper at the academy. Um, that might have been the third name you were thinking about before, George. Actually, Jonathan Pepper. Um, and maybe, if, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So if he's kind of happy with all that, maybe we we shouldn't expect to see the analytics uh, impact that radically. Maybe it will just enhance the work that's already been done there. So uh, yeah, yeah. Not to get uh, not to dampen your spirits at all, but uh, uh, yeah. Again, I, I guess the the phrase that's been used is evolution rather than revolution. That's probably a good sign. Samir. Yeah, I like that. I do like that. I think that's a good thing. Um, just, I think the other thing that I picked up on um, earlier on today, actually, and this is something that I think Dave and I have talked about loads um, when we're warming up for the, for the previous show, when we're just chatting off air, is I guess we put it in the umbrella of match day experience. Um, and I know that there's some of the things that fans have approached um, Pace with on Twitter and um, other forums is to talk about the mental health concerns of the people and the fans in the town and particularly the linked to the club's sponsorship with um, gaming companies and betting companies. And he has come out and said, much to John Robertson's delight, who is a known and ever preview show VIP, um, he's, he's obviously been campaigning to try and distance ourselves from betting sites for ages. And he's actually said as Pace that he's looking at that and that's something that they feel strongly about and they've got concerns about too. We could be trailblazers, guys, for moving football away from betting. Going back to your first point, Natalie, you know, kind of before we cover the betting stuff, because it's not, I'll let somebody else kind of go on with that because it's not my area sure. of expertise. Is I love my match day experience. I think it's. I, yeah. yeah, me. So do I. So do I. I don't get what people like. I don't like. I get it. And, but what do people. Do we want it to be like an NFL game where you've got bloody cheerleaders and fireworks and all that crap going off? Like, mate, I go in the foundation <laughs> club, I have a bit of food, I have a couple of pints with my dad, my aunt, you know, see my family there, we go on the game, I chat to the people I've sat next to for the last 20-odd years, watch, just get totally Im- immersed in the game, shout, swear, cheer, cry, whatever it is, and that's part of football. It's like, to me, I look like, Turf Moor, some, there's something pure about it, I think. There's the fan yeah. zone for people. Don't get me wrong, you know, you got to... I went to Brighton early in the season and, you know, it's kind of, it's very, um, sorry, last season, it's very fancy. You've got probably more about the stadium. But I, and and, and obviously people are different, but I don't know what the rest of the people in, but I really, it's the best part of my week. Well, not at the moment, but, you know, going and having the match day experience, I, I don't think there's, you know, too much wrong with it, to be honest. That's my maybe opinion. that's maybe that's the question. Maybe that's maybe that's the thing when anybody comes in and starts looking at how the, the club moves in the next direction. It might not necessarily be an emphasis on changing what's already there. You know, people may just he may just be asking that question to make sure that people are happy with their match day experience. And if they are, great. That's let's not worry about that. Let's park that in the don't need to change anything with that. Because I agree with you. Football's football's changing every single year, and as the Premier League gets bigger and the championship try and catch up and the football league clubs get more and more distance from everything that's going on and the money that's available to them. You know, when you've got these massive super stadiums like the new Spurs Stadium, which is brilliant and I loved my day there. I didn't. But it's... Well, no, <laughs> no, okay. not the result wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> when we were like 3-0 down after 20 minutes, I was like, I'm going home. But so <laughs> before the game kicked off, it was impressive. But it didn't feel like the football that we know and love. Turf's much better. So maybe that's all it is, Rich. Maybe it's just getting yeah. the reassurance. But I've seen a lot of fans on it. Twitter kind of say that they want the match day experience improved. You know what? That's absolutely fine. But it's just interesting. I kind of, and, and that's why I, I said it, like, I really enjoy the experience. Yeah, me too. Or maybe my that's my routine. I suppose everybody has their own routines and people do different things, don't they? But I really enjoy my routine or the, the experience of the, of the game, so yeah. I, you know, and you know, I, yeah, that's just my view on it. I don't know if any, like I said, if George, Tom, and Dave think any different, but you know. I, I think there's certainly improvements that, that can be made if you look at the, uh, the the way the club's set up. Well, when we can remember going to grounds, it's yeah. so long ago, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but in terms of, um, I mean, queuing for a, a drink on the concourse at half time, it's yeah, that's true. It's, uh, I just stay I mean, up at half time. I don't really go down. Well, exactly. Yeah, so. But, 
But I think part of it may well be that, uh, well, when COVID's out of the way, then you know better ways of of, of refreshments for fans as a as a basic yeah, point. I agree, I'm not sure yeah. he's necessarily saying about changing the. Uh, I mean, they've tried it before in the past. We've had uh, uh, Chico at halftime, if you remember uh, that one, and, uh, and and dog troops going around. Do you remember Bring the, back uh, the pie in the pig? Pants? Bring back the dog. pie. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, I did that, and it, that was that was good. But I used to enjoy that. The pie and the pea. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. This is taking it a turn. I think I've, I've got to say, actually, I think I think I agree with Dave. I think refreshments and, and, I guess, food offering especially is something that I want to see improved. Now, I tend to go to Turf Chippy, um, which is just the best chippy in the world and don't even at me with any claims that it's not. Um, but I think now they've got the fan zone outside and they've got, like, the burger van and they've got a little bit a better food offering and they've got the, the the proper ale as well in the beer tent that has improved it but if you don't if you get to the ground late for whatever reason you've not got yeah. time to eat outside if your only food options are at half time it's really hard work to either yeah, have food or have a pie or a roll over hot dog which is quite frankly may as well be suitable for vegetarians <laughs> it's never seen so yeah, I agree with that. Maybe, maybe it's just little things like that, Rich. Maybe, like you yeah, say, yeah, we want to keep yeah, yeah. keep everything, but just tweaking stuff. Because I think they are going to be looking at the commercial side of it and how we make money. And I do think people go to turf prepared where they've got the means to prepared to spend a certain amount of money on the match day experience. You know, I I don't always buy a program, but I quite like having um, something to eat. So you know, you, people spend the money on different things. Um, and I think if you give a better like food offering, you might be able to generate better revenue there. I don't know. I'll tell you what, the one thing that'll break the camel's back for me, if we raise the programme price to more than £3, that's it, I'm out. Because that's the one thing that I love about us, that we've always kept it at £3. And I've got a programme from every single game I've been to. Wow. It, and when, I go, when we go down south and it's like, oh, £3.50 at Wolves, it does my head in. So as long, you know, Alan Pace, if you're listening, as long as you keep the programme price at £3, You've got a very happy clarity. That, that's assuming the program comes back. They've now gone to digital, and I'm, oh, I'm not convinced they'll bring it back. No. I'm not convinced. Mm. I've got to say as well, from an environmental perspective. But if, if you're looking at your at your carbon footprint and the environmental impact of match days, all of those programs, most people don't keep them. Like they just read them and they throw them away, and they, they glossy. They are like high quality paper. They're not good for the environment. I think Dave might be right. I think we might have seen the end of that. You mean they're not in everyone's wardrobe like me? I've, I've got a few from key games, but not, um, and I've got a few signed ones, but I've not. I've still got my Wembley program, obvs. Um, I just find that this is the most Burnley podcast ever. I just find it all of the really important, like generation defining changes in the come on turf. And George is, is just wanting to make sure that the program doesn't go above three quid. Rich wants his match day experience to stay as it is, and everyone's just like, do not mess with our football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but spend millions. Of I just literally want new players, me. I'm not bothered about anything else. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm not new players. I quite liked it. My my dad, Daddy B, is really worried about, um, the, for some reason he's got it into his head that we're going to move from Turf Moor, which it's like, Dad, we're not. We're never going to move from Turf Moor. But I would quite like to see some ground development because I think you can do better things with Turf. I think you can redevelop that cricket field stand and you yeah. could do something. Now's the time to do it. Definitely. And I think you can do it um, and still Turf Moor still feel like Turf Moor. I've got to say, actually, I think we talked about this. Dave, did you and I talk about this on a, on a preview show? When I was saying one of the... Th- oh, no, I know when it was. It was when we were doing the Alistair Campbell special. One of the th- It was talking about Paul Fletcher and, and some stories about him being at the club. And one of the things that I felt really sad about with ITV digital collapsing was that we never got to see his plans for that cricket field stand redevelopment. It was after that. It was it, it, the, the ITV digital was a lot before that. It was the oh, um, it? it was the uh, global banking crash that. Oh, caused of course the it was. With, with yeah. yeah. I'm getting me. I've still, got, I've still got those plans for the program in my wardrobe. So if you ever yeah. need to route out and find them. They, they it's in the Clarence really Chronicles far. book. It's in, there's a section in the back of the, the Clarence Chronicles book came out to the end of the 2007 season. They had about three or four pages of the plans in the back of the book, and then obviously the banking crash happened the following year, and the uh, all the things that were uh, in the pipeline never happened. Dave, you you um, tweeted about this earlier, and you got a couple of pushback tweets, didn't you, about you know stadium stadium renovation. I'd be interested in what everyone wants sort of doing to the stadium because I think we all agree like capacity is not the uh, the real aim to increase the capacity. But obviously, 
the match day experience I'm with Rich, you know, there's nothing really that I want to see. You know, I don't I don't really want to see cheerleaders brought and, you know, fireworks and everything. But maybe the, the experience also includes stadium improvements. I'm not too sure. I think there's certainly potential to do something now. I mean, you're in a situation in a in a good way, in that you've got no pressure. In that, you know, in the past you'd have been saying, "Oh, we're going to lose this revenue because we haven't got fans coming into the ground." Now you're in a situation where, for the next several months, you aren't going to have fans in the ground. Let's let's face it. And even when you do get fans coming into the ground, it'll be on a staggered basis. So you've potentially got the entire the entirety of 2021 to be able to do things to the ground if you want to do it. So. To my mind, it's a case of striking while the while the iron's hot, and it's not a case of necessarily bumping the capacity up. It's more a case of how you can um, uh, it, it make improvements. I think the cricket field stand is very outdated. It's possibility of either making improvements there or even replacing it. I mean, it sounds uh, dramatic, but possibly replacing the cricket field stand. And if you did that, you could then have um, extra capacity for hospitality as well. I think we're in a situation where. We we don't have a lot of hospitality um, seats at the club. It's to 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 fans on a day to day basis. It doesn't make much much odds, I don't think. But certainly from a, a financial point of view, for new owners coming in, if they can maximise the revenue from the point of view of getting um, you know two four four five six hundred more um, hospitality seats, it obviously adds to their bottom line and uh, and helps the club going forward. It, it brings in revenue for uh, for other things. We've definitely, I think, I agree with you, Dave, here. I think we've we've probably done as much as we can do with the cricket field stand because it did get, it did obviously, we had the tunnel in the middle and then it's obviously been renovated since and the whole bottom of it's been redone in the last few years with the changing rooms, etc. You know, we've pretty much done all we can with it. So, I, but obviously you've got the issue of Burnley Cricket Club will never want to move from there and fair enough. My dad brought up the idea of, you know, doing something different to the Bob Lord and it's not like, oh, put the, another tier on it just like you can redo that stand uh you know that could be something to look at i thought the cricket club agreed to move when we were first did those proposals so i've got a mouthful of um Christmas that was mooted as a as a possibility i think there was a um a, a potential financial settlement for them to to move oh. and it, again it might be a situation where new owners coming in they can give impetus to that and uh, and that might happen. But yes, you would need to have um, some sort of uh, either buying from the cricket club where you took an element of that land um, to do certain developments or even, yeah, Burnley Cricket Club moving completely. Hmm, interesting stuff. Um, I don't think there's anything else that we needed to, to, to cover, was well, I think we were talking the, about the... Go on, George. Well, the underlying thing... Uh, throughout all of this episode, which we've not, we've not actually mentioned, is like the, the main change is ambition, like for me. Like it, whether it comes in the form of transfers or what have you, the main the main difference in the change of ownership and everything that Alan Pace has been talking about is the ambition and, you know, just a few things that I picked up from the interview. He said if we were if our ambition was just to stay up, it'd be like going into the ocean and just trying to to avoid drowning and you won't actually, you know, explore the beauties of it. It was a very American uh, metaphor. But then he also said, if we're lucky enough to be here in 20 years' time, which, you know, A, that's brilliant because, you know, it just shows long-term commitment. But he did say, if we want to be here in 20 years' time, I can tell you the ambition will be, and he emphasised, the ambition will be far different from today. So I think just the main underlying thing about all of this is just hopefully we'll, we'll, will modernise the club and it's brilliant we've got all these traditions and everything but sometimes we can be stuck in the past and you know mm. we'll show a bit of ambition and I think that's what Alan Pearce and his team will definitely bring to the club that's what I've been crying out for for so long and you, you know and again everyone's got their opinion and, 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 and that's a part of football but so many people are just like yeah but you know it's a and it, and it, and it still is and, and even though it does frustrate me oh but it's a good season if we've come 17th like last season we we, we, we come tenth, but yeah. this season we're probably going to come like fifteenth, sixteenth, I think, in the end. So, so we're going to, you know, regress. Hopefully, from this season, we can start seeing that steady improvement to the club, bringing players into the first team. You know, hope maybe you know, hope you know, going into that European market and keep building and building. And like George said, was that's a great way to kind of summarise his is what he said so far is. He, he is ambitious to obviously get take the club to that next level and to you know and I'm and something we discussed on the podcast last week, Natalie. I do want us to see us play a little bit better football 
yeah. sometimes even though it's you know it's a great feeling when you win at times it can be difficult to watch I, i'd love us to you know remember when we had the four playing and it was a joy to watch and we was know, knocking yeah. the ball about a little bit more imagine if we got another couple of players like that it'd be absolutely fantastic but to kind of it's available well maybe not do, well they got the four but, <laughs> you know what i mean like you look at i watched southampton and no hassan Utel is a bit of a strange cat in it but um some of the, you know, obviously from that nine nil, and look at the way they're progressing. The, you know, this this time the young lad who played in midfield against Liverpool called Diallo, who, who I think is going to be a really top player. So it'd be nice to kind of see us signing those players. Um, but you know, my favourite quote that he gave was something quite subtle. He said, uh, "What what you'll get to know about us is that we under promise and over deliver." I thought that was so cheesy. I liked it, but. It was really cheesy, wasn't it? So yeah, I think George made a great point there. Let's let let let's hopefully and I know Tom's still very cautiously optimistic, but over the next, you know, two, five, ten years, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see where the where the where the clubs are in, in terms of hopefully competing in the Premier League. Yeah, I'd love that. I tell you, I tell you what I kind of liked as well from his interview that he was saying. I loved the fact that he highlighted just the the bad state, the bad shape that football in the northwest is in. It suddenly felt like he was going to come in, and I don't know. It just felt like he understood the town and he understood the region. And he was like, you know, it's like he kind of said, "It's a crying shame that that there's so many clubs in the northwest, and there's only really us that are doing well. Everybody else is really struggling." And you think, you know, I do miss it. And as much as it pains me when we get beaten by them, but I miss the derbies and I miss. Preston and Blackpool and them down the road. You know, it's like you want to see football back to the northwest. You want to see everybody back in the in the in the top tiers. So I think it's, I'm not sure. I, mean, I think we're putting a bit too much pressure on Alan Pace's heads now. It's like you must solve Burnley's problems, you must solve gambling problems, and you must also solve problems in the northwest in football. So there you go, no pressure. Um, speaking of, oh, we've lost Tom. I think Tom's disappeared. Um, mm-hmm. Last one then, quickly before because I'm going to go on. I'm going to get some. Um, What's it called? Some tea. Um, talking of ambition, this weekend cup game. Can we please have a cup run? That would be ace. Just hope we get through this. Just hope we have enough players for this weekend. Yeah, assuming that we can field a, um, a team at the weekend. Do you know, what? I've I'm... thought about this. Wouldn't it be our luck that we get to Wembley and we can't go? Oh no! Don't say Imagine that. Getting to the yeah, final. Imagine it. if, if there's any it. year to not have a cup run. With everything that's going on, I actually don't mind this year. I know that sounds negative. Imagine getting to Wembley and you wouldn't see that see a Claverton blue. How gutted would that be? Sorry, Natalie, to bring a downer on it, but I just can't. I, I, I literally might just cry. You've literally, yep. you've literally put a stake in my heart. I'm like, oh my God, are we going to go to Wembley and I'm not going to get to see it? Uh, we've obviously, we've well, that won't happen anything. anyway. We'll get knocked out by the Dom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Dash is... Da- do you think Alan Pearson do? Do you think Alan pasted his research on what crappy record dash is going cup competitions? It's like he's not he's not a cup manager. It really isn't. I'm sorry. Um, Can I give you a stat? A, a, oh, a, yes. A yes. Stat. Um, oh. Burnley haven't lost a third round tie at Turf Moor since uh, 2008. It's 13 years oh, since we lost the third round against? tie. Oh. Oh. Arsenal. Arsenal, was it? Arsenal. Oh, yeah. It's that yes, play centre-half for Burnley. Yes. He was yeah. very bad. He turned slower than Dale Stevens in. He <laughs> <laughs> was bad. Stan Varga. Oh I hope that, that we've... Producer Matt sent um, Alan Pearce an email asking him if he wants to come on the podcast. Because you know what? If you don't ask, you don't get. Um, and we got a wonderfully polite reply uh, back from his media team saying that they would keep in touch and we've got to appreciate that they've been inundated with requests, which was the, the most wonderfully polite way of saying, guys, you're at the bottom of the queue. But hey, we're in, we're in the queue. doesn't matter where we are in the queue, we're in the queue. Um, and I just hope that this isn't the episode that he decides to listen to see who's going to come on. <laughs> He's following us on Twitter. He's following us. Yes, mm-hmm. he's connected with me on LinkedIn, and I think he's in New York with you as well, hasn't he, George? He's with me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's he's getting in touch. We like him already. We're very easily pleased. It's just like just massage our ego a little bit, and we'll be we'll support you to the hilt. Um, is, is nobody going to get excited about this MK Don's game at the weekend before we go? No, um, <laughs> we weren't excited enough to do a preview show for it. So, um, are we doing a preview show, Dave? I've kind of lost no. that thread. What, what are we doing? 
Well, we were we were going to discuss um, uh, fans' memories of FA Cup games. Matt had uh, tweeted out for uh, uh, what fans remember for Burnley's FA Cup uh, third round wins, memorable ones from the past. Is it worth us uh, touching on those? Now? Did anybody actually reply? We got a few, yeah. Oh, okay. I replied, so that's one person at least. Yeah, Tom, Tom remembered our win at uh, Derby in uh, 1999. That was the odd one, wasn't it? Because that was the one that um, uh, Manchester United didn't play. They, they they were playing the World Club Championship, and the third round came early, didn't it? That one went into um, did it go into December. Is that yeah? That, it was like right. early in December that game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were still at school. Definitely, I remember that. <laughs> Yeah. And then we beat, got beat by Coventry in the next round. Yeah, three now. Don't go down. So essentially, I've now got George. Why is why are you waving at us? What's the matter? It's because you're not replying to me in the chat, Natalie. I'm, I'm oh, I haven't seen it. Sorry. <laughs> Can I mention Natalie's paragraph about why the debt is fine? It will put a lot of listeners' minds at ease. I know a lot of old fans are worried. Blah blah blah. No. <laughs> essentially. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, we're talking about Milton Keynes and George is just waving at us and he's saying like, pick me, pick me, come to me. Uh, no, go on, George. What, what were you wanted to talk about very quickly about the takeover? Well, I was just, I was just gonna say because obviously we're all, a lot, I mean, Tom included, with cautious optimism, we're all really optimistic about this, and but we've got to recognise that quite a lot of fans are, are worried, and you know, it's not a Burnley fan, it's a, it's a foreign investor. Why on earth is he interested? And then they've got this that the debt that obviously they, they've taken out a debt or a loan and I thought I thought I thought the same as them it was a bit like oh I'm a bit worried now but Natalie you you texted our group chat uh with a brilliant paragraph and I was just wondering whether you wanted to sum it up <laughs> or I've, I've got it screenshotted here and it put my mind at ease so I, I agree <laughs> with what I'm with at ease. is that on your bedroom wall too George <laughs> Yeah, because, yeah, I still I think, oh no, you know, we're getting taken over here. But then I look at that and I'm thinking, oh, it'll all be fine. He's going to print it out and put it with that the uh, ground plans. <laughs> <laughs> so if we want to know how George Poole's getting through lockdown, it's, um, it is. No, I think it was just a very, very quick comment about, I know some fans are concerned about debt. And listen, this is not coming from any level of expertise or any formal financial advice or anything you know this is just my opinion but essentially deals of this nature very often get financed um it's very it's very unusual for somebody to to pay pure cash reserves for the certainly the levels of of purchase that we've been putting in here and I think it comes down to changing your mindset about how you feel about debt um and I think one of the, the the comparisons that I gave the guys was is that you know not all debt falls into to bad debt. There's responsible debt, which is good debt, and there's there's irresponsible debt, which is bad debt. So if you think about things like your mortgage, um, car finance, or you know interest free, um, what's it called, sofa purchases, and things like that, and things that you can spread the cost out, they are responsible debts and they are good debts because they are inexpensive and or they're necess- they are necessary for your lifestyle but then you compare them to things like overdrafts and credit cards and short-term loans you know the the high street lens they are very expensive and they are very easily manipulated and very easily abused and then they're generally considered bad debt when you purchase something like this financial planning is something that is taken into consideration and even if the new owners had the cash reserves to be able to purchase it purely in cash debt free that's not necessarily the most sensible way of structuring the deal and if they can get funding to do it spread the cost of that funding in an in a cheap and cost effective way they can then keep their cash reserves which may very well be better spent on emergency funds or basically not wiping out the savings and things like that so I think I was just talking to boys and saying don't just automatically see a loan um, or debt to purchase this football club as automatically bad or something that we need to, to worry about it is done all the time not just in the football world but in corporate world in general people use finance to buy things and um, in, in a lot of cases it's probably the more sensible way of funding something because it doesn't tie up cash so that was essentially all that was. So there you go. Thanks. And now all the listeners' minds are at ease and everyone is content with the takeover. 
and the world is a better place. Please don't send, please don't send people my way. That was genuinely just my personal view on how I look today. I think it's it's just I'm, I'm looking in my profession that I see a lot of these, a lot of of the ways that that finance works, and a lot of uh, I have exposure to how deals are structured. Um, and it's just you know, you know, I'm not I'm not saying this is cast iron, by the way, because I haven't seen the accounts, and it may very well be that they've been um, that you know it's an irresponsible lender. I don't know, but I'm saying is is that don't automatically assume because it's very common for finance to be put in place for deals like this. Um, and on that note, uh, let's go because nobody's getting excited about MK Dons. We've not got 14 players. I've got no idea what I'm supposed to be doing with Dave, but I better go away and read Twitter. Um, but yeah, good chat, guys. Uh, we managed to talk about lots of. Nice things. Bloody hell, we've been on the phone for an hour. It's flown by. It has. And flies around the corner, doesn't it? It does. Right. Let's go, everyone. Thanks for your time. And we will speak when hopefully we get an MK Dons game on and hopefully we get United game on. And let's all talk next week after the United game and see if we can put an analysis podcast out. And Dave, I'll speak to you separately about okay. whatever you've told me about preview shows. Grand. All right, guys. Speak soon. Bye. 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 Look after yourself, bro. Good eat. Bye bye. And that's all we have time for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. It was very much a, an informal round the table to discussion. And I think sometimes it gets the best out of people. Maybe we should do more of these uh, when people feel a bit more relaxed and they can talk about some things that, that get it off their chest. Um, if you like that format or you want to see more of it, drop us a line at known and never or what well, tweet is at known and never or drop us an email at podcast at known and never dot net. But if there's anything else that you'd like us to, to do differently in 2021, we're always open to suggestions. Um, my thanks as ever go to producer Matt, who has this week had the Herculean task of knitting together the whole team's um, audios from that call. So hopefully that wasn't too difficult, Matt, um, but thank you anyway. Um, and thanks to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to that episode. It is very much appreciated. Um, your support is always appreciated. We would not be here without you. And I say that every single week and we genuinely mean it. Um, I don't know when we're going to be back in terms of games with everything that's going on with the COVID positive tests this week and games possibly being pushed back. So keep an eye out on social media and we will push some new episodes to you as we can. In the meantime, stay safe. Um, if anybody is struggling particularly with the new lockdown um, and is feeling isolated or alone or just wants to reach out to somebody and have a chat, then the None and Ever team is always available. You know how to get in touch with us. If you fancy writing us an email and becoming pen pals, we usually always respond. Um, and tweet us and we will interact as ever so please take care of yourselves in the meantime this has been the known and ever podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you Impress No Glue Press On Manny's and Impress Press On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.